you a new wine. We thank you, Lord God, that even though the world may seem against us, you are for us. Even though we may feel pressed, we may feel crushed, we're not defeated because we have you on your side. And if you are for us, who can be against us? So we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that you're here with us. And we pray, won't you continue to be with us for the rest of this service? In the name of Jesus. Everyone said, Amen. Fantastic. I need that. Thank you, Pauline. Hey, my name's Phil. Josh did a great job introducing me. Hey, thanks, band. Hey, let's give the band a hand this morning. Thank you, Bethany and crew. I don't know anyone else's name, so just thank Bethany for the time being. Never get complacent with what we have here at One Heart Church. You know, we've got a beautiful building. We've got beautiful, comfortable seats. You know, at Elliston Church, the Uniting Church at the moment, I don't believe they've got ducted split system heating and cooling. Uh, They do have Pastor Rob, which is, you know, compensation maybe, but never get complacent. Worship band, you do an amazing job. Bethany, you do an amazing job. And I've been to churches that are a lot bigger than this, uh, and the worship isn't as beautiful and, and Holy Spirit felt as that was. So uh, thank you, wherever you are. I can't see very well. So as uh, Josh introduced me, my name's Phil. My dad is Stuart. You may have heard him preach. He's from Sejuna, a.k.a. I'm from Sejuna. But uh, recently, for the last 15 years, I've been living in Adelaide. Uh, and as part of that, as part of my time there, I've uh, done many things, but most recently I've been uh, on the pastoral staff at Victory Church, which is in Paraka. But I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Now, the title of my message this morning is The Power of Love. Now, you're probably thinking about Celine Dion, and I pray that that song doesn't get stuck in your head this morning as I share. Hey, what do you think of this slide? Pastor Rob Santo Stefano with his amazing computer skills. He's got mad skills in the technology department. But we're going to talk about the power of love. And today is Father's Day, and I was able to uh, FaceTime my two beautiful daughters this morning. You know when you FaceTime and you can see your own face looking back at you, and you go, oh, oh my goodness, that's what I look like. So I was able to FaceTime them, and uh, they wished me a happy Father's Day. And I want to wish everyone here a happy Father's Day, but I want to make special mention to those who don't have their father with them today, uh, be it through uh, you know, location, that it's not here with you, or, or maybe they've passed away, or maybe there's a relational issue and I just want to honour you and uh, you know this church is a family church and not only is there plenty of spiritual fathers here but you've got a father in heaven who loves you and he cares for you and no matter what your past your future can be bright because God loves you. Amen. Today's text comes from the book of John. We're flipping to chapter 19 as everyone bought their Bibles today. Remember to bring your Bible because especially Pastor Rob you've got to make sure he's teaching you the right stuff. And you want to be able to check the scriptures. John chapter 19. So where this scripture picks up is it's towards the end of Jesus' life. So Jesus was was born and for the first 30 years of his life, we don't hear much about him. But uh, then when he hits about 30, he begins his public ministry. And then uh, that public ministry lasts about three years. And uh, as he gets to the end of that three years, he makes his final trip into Jerusalem. And you all remember the story as Jesus entered into Jerusalem 
and, uh, and he, he's on the back of a donkey, and the whole city, the city was swelling because of the Passover that was coming. And there was, they say, up to a million people in the city at the time, which is a lot for 2,000 years ago. And uh, as Jesus is walking in, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have come out. They've heard about his ministry. They've heard about the miracles. They've heard about his amazing teaching. They've felt the love that he shared in the countryside. And they've come in to welcome him into Jerusalem as the Messiah, as the King of Kings, as the King that was going to save them from Roman oppression. It was five days later that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was betrayed by Judas with a kiss. He was then taken to Pontius Pilate and he was tried and he was, uh, and he was found uh, not guilty. But the crowd uh, still turned, the, the crowd that had welcomed him as a, as a saviour and as a messiah had turned and they demanded nothing less than his death. And this is where we pick it up in John chapter 19 and we're starting at verse 16. Then Pilate, who was the Roman governor of the, of the area, then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of the skull. In Hebrew, that's Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. As we skip down to verse 23, it goes on, it says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and they threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother, his mother's sister Mary, uh, the wife of Clopas, in case anyone knows Clopas, any friends of Clopas here? Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. Can we put ourselves in the text at that moment? You know, quite often I read the Bible and I read it from a position of knowing the end of the story. But can we put ourselves in the text? And I want to be really gracious to us and say, let's be Jesus in this story because you know, quite often we think we are. But let's be Jesus in this story. Jesus is welcomed as a hero, as a Messiah, or as someone who's going to save the city and save the Jewish nation. And there he is, not five days later, being crucified. Jesus has to carry his own cross from what they call the Antonia Fortress, which is a seat of government in Roman uh, Judea. And he carries his own cross weighing up to 135 kilograms. And he carries it the distance, I think it's about five miles, up to the place of the skull. Not a, not a great place, not a place that I want to visit anytime soon. And there's Jesus lying on his cross as they drive those nails through his hands and they drive the nails through his feet and they lift him up and they place him in the ground and he's been beaten and he's had a crown of thorns jammed on his head and he's beaten, he's bloody, he's bruised and he's struggling to breathe because the way that crucifixion works is that you begin to suffocate. 
What is it that he's smelling at the time? Can he smell the campfires that are burning around him? Can he see the Roman soldiers over on one side as they're gambling for his last possessions? As he looks out from, his, from, from the cross, does he see this crowd that abandoned him and betrayed him? And that crowd that not long ago were welcoming him as a Messiah and now they were cheering him on as he's passing away. He lifts his head and he sees who isn't there and his disciples have left him. His followers have left him. And he lifts his head and he's struggling to breathe. And, and he looks down and he sees his mum. He looks down and he sees his auntie and Mary Magdalene and John. That moment, that point in time as Jesus with his arms outstretched and he lifts up his head and he makes eye contact with his mum, what is he thinking? Is he thinking about the time when he was a kid and his brothers were beating him up and he ran inside and his mum was the one that said, I'll look after you and I'll protect you and puts a bandage on his knee? Was he thinking about the time that you know, he, he was sick and his mum cared for him in bed? Was he remembering the time as a child that he woke up and he'd had a nightmare and his mum was there to care for him and comfort him. You see, it was while Jesus was in this desperate pain, it was while Jesus was completely exhausted, breathing his last, his thoughts weren't on his circumstances, they weren't on his pain, but they were focused on others. It was in that moment that his thought wasn't on him, but it was on his mum and who was going to care for her. And who was going to look after her as in his absence? This image of Jesus looking down, breathing heavily, moaning from the pain, not thinking of himself, but on those around, around him, gives us this glimpse into the almighty love of God. You see, English is a terrible language. The Bible was written originally, this part of portion of the Bible was originally written in Greek and in our English, you know, it was originally transferred by King, uh, uh, translated by King James into the English and in English we only have this one word for love. But when it was originally written in the Greek language, the Greeks used four different words for love. And I know there's probably some Greeks here, so please don't criticise my uh, Greek accent. But it really confuses us when someone says I love my car and I'm sure there's many dads here that love their car it really confuses people when Josh says I love Lincoln South Football Club <laughs> Lincoln South Football Club may not love you no just joking they love you Josh you're a great footballer you know my wife loves candles loves she loves candles there's candles all through her house she loves pillows I love my children I love my wife and this word love provides so much confusion and so much uh, trouble with us because we throw it around and we don't really understand the full context of what the word actually means. These Greek words, the first one is eros. And eros is the word that they would use to describe erotic or lustful love. Then there is storge, which is this instinctive love like a parent to a child. But the word love that we would often refer to the most in our in our usage is the word phileo and phileo is this earthly love it's based on reciprocation 
It brings best friends together because, you know, Josh is a Lincoln South football fan and I'm a Lincoln South football fan and we both love footy and so we get together. There's a reciprocation. There's a reciprocation. And when your husband and wife and before you, you just meet, I'm sure that, you know, Bethany and uh, Dimitri, you know, when you guys first met, there was probably a little bit of spark, common interest, music. and You know, this commonality, this, this, this reciprocation brings people together and you find love. And you end up marrying. Phileo comes and it goes. When the reciprocation stops, so too does our love. We pledge our lives together, but once that phileo love crumbles away, so does our relationships. When the reciprocation falls away, when you're betrayed or your trust is broken, when feelings fade. See, when I talk about love, I don't... Know what your experience of love is this morning. Is your love experience dad leaving you and walking out? Is love someone hurting you and maybe a a guy treating you in a way that you should never be treated? Is love for you the friends that you trusted and you placed your confidence in and, and they betrayed you? For some people, love equals pain and Love equals hurt. But God's love is in a completely different category, all of its own. In the original text, it's called agape. You see, God doesn't feel love. God merely doesn't express his love. But God is love. 1 John 4 verse 8 says, Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. God is love. He doesn't just love. He doesn't just express his love by giving you flowers like a husband does for a wife. Or maybe if you're a, your kids and you gave your dad jocks and socks this morning in a way of expressing your love. Or maybe you're Pastor Rob and you thought everyone needed a pocket knife just in case you're getting mugged on the streets of Port Lincoln. God doesn't just express his love, but God is love. It's the very core of who he is. It's his very being. It's who he is. God has a love that is exclusively exclusively His. It flows from His being, the essence of who He is, and it isn't phileo love. It isn't based on reciprocation. It's otherworldly love from another realm, from another dimension, from the essence and core of His being. God is not phileo. God is not based on reciprocated love, but He is agape love. When we read about love in the Bible, it's that agape love that we read about. It was that agape love that enabled him to look beyond himself, beyond his own pain, and to look at his mum and remember her. This morning, I want to look a bit more into this agape love and see how that may apply to us today, 2,000 years later, right here, right now in One Heart Church, Port Lincoln. The first thing that I believe we need to know about this agape love is that it's unconditional. You see, everything in our life has a condition tagged against it. If you go down to Del Giorno's after church and you want to get a mocha decaf soy frappuccino, your ability to have that mocha decaf soy frappuccino, that was your drink, Josh, wasn't it? Uh, Is conditional on your ability to pay for it. You know, getting here this morning was conditional on you having petrol in your car. 
You being my Facebook friend is conditional on you not sending me game invites <laughs> and not posting too many weird comments, if you don't mind. You see, our love is conditional too. And I was at the doctors recently, and uh, as you do when you're waiting for the doctors, because who, know the doc- who knows the doctors are always late. And, uh, you know, much respect to any doctors here. It's not an insult to you, but just a, a statement of facts. You see, I was at the doctors and I picked up the magazine that was there and the magazines are always, you know, a bit outdated and I picked up, uh, I think the only magazine there was Clio, 1998. <laughs> really in touch. And I was, as I was flipping through it, there's this checklist, how to know he loves you. And there was 10 statements that you could check off how to know whether he loves you. And I'm going to read them out to you this morning. So, uh, husbands and wives, get your pens out and uh, see how we go with this quick test. Does he listen to you? How quickly does he respond to your messages? Is it too, see- too soon, which shows maybe he's too eager? Or is it too late, which means maybe he doesn't care that much? Does he hold your hand in public? Does he buy you flowers? Does he share his food with you? Yeah, that's a big no-no for me as well. My wife loves to share food and, uh, sorry babe, I like my chicken satay as it is. He sends a good morning and a good night text uh, to you. He plans a date night. He chooses a movie that you would enjoy. He doesn't keep secrets. It's funny, but we put this list of conditions on our love. If we text someone, and, and you've done it, I've done it, we've texted someone and we've all got iPhones now except for people that aren't saved. And if you've got an iPhone and you text someone and you see the dot, dot, dot come up and you think, good, they're replying straight away and then the dot, dot, dots go away and you think, what the heck happened? Don't you love me? If you loved me, you would have responded in an appropriate amount of time. You know, I remember losing a friend at school because I couldn't list all 16 AFL teams. I still can't. And there's 18 now. It just confuses me. We put conditions on our love. You see, our love can be all about me. Love me. Listen to me. Do this for me. Do that for me. Meet my needs. This is phileo love. This is how the world works. It says, I will love you if. I will love you if you adore me. I will love you if you communicate with me. I will love you if you meet my needs. But then the opposite is true. I will no longer love you if you ignore me. I will no longer love you if you hurt me. I will no longer love you if you betray my trust. We put conditions and lists on our love. And that's right, that's to stop us from being hurt. But God's love, this agape love, doesn't place conditions on it. It doesn't require us to live a certain way or to uphold a certain standard. God loved us before we even had an opportunity to earn it. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You see, God's love isn't dependent on us achieving something or meeting his needs or being the right person 
God's love isn't dependent on you answering your prayers every morning or doing your Bible reading every morning. There is nothing that you can do to earn God's love and there is nothing that you can do to lose God's love. God's love is, is unconditional. Nothing you have done has surprised him. There is nothing that you've done in your past and he looks and he goes, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was there. The lies, the deceit, your failing, your insecurities, your guilt, your secret shame, none of it is a surprise. God knows it all and yet he still chooses to love you. John 3.16, it says, and this is probably the most famous verse in the Bible, you can see it at wrestling matches and everywhere you go. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Undoubtedly the most famous scripture, and most people in our culture can remember that scripture. But what it doesn't say is that the world so loved God that he gave. What it doesn't say is when the world finally got its act together and when you finally got your act together, God decided to love you. You see, God wasn't in heaven with its big mansions and its golden streets, pacing his lounge room floor, waiting for you to meet criteria before he started loving you. This is God's love. This is agape love. Not that you have to meet a series of conditions before you're accepted but you are loved and accepted as you are. This love has no boundaries. It is unconditional. It isn't earned. There are no good things you can do to make him love you more. There is nothing that you can do to make him love you less. His love is constant. It's never failing, never ending, and never changing. This unconditional love of God isn't like that of your friends, it's not like that of your parents. It's not like that of your husband or wife. God's love is in a completely different category all on its own. God has a love that is exclusively His. It flows from His being, the essence of who He is. It isn't phileo. It isn't based on reciprocation or conditions. It is otherworldly, from another realm, from another dimension, from the essence and core of His being. God is not phileo love, but He is Agape love. And this is agape love. It is unconditional. And God's agape love is sacrificial. This sacrificial love is demonstrated so clearly on the cross. The ultimate sacrifice. You know, God didn't have to do anything for us. He didn't owe us. But he chose to go through this excruciating form of torture in our place. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We who were relationally far from God. In fact, in verse 10 it says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. The love that God has, this agape love, causes him to sacrifice his life for people that don't even know him. For people that would be considered his enemy. This is agape love. Not that we love him, but that he loves us. And he sacrifices his life for us. 
loving sacrificially isn't something that naturally comes to you and me as easily. I remember the day that our first child, Isla, was born and she's uh, 10 in a couple of weeks. And I remember bringing her home from hospital and she was asleep. You know when babies are so tiny and they're first born and all they do is sleep. And I brought her home, we brought her home together and there she is in a little, in a little uh, you know, what do you call it, bassinet. And she's sleeping beautifully and Sarah and I just look at each other and, you know, arm around each other. You know, we, we did it. We're amazing parents. Look at it. We're absolutely dominating this parent business. So peaceful, so beautiful. And then. And then. And then they get hungry and they start crying. And everything that happens to them, they just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day. You know, my wife was struggling to sleep at the time and so I would get up and I would be the one that gets up during the night and I'd settle Isla, I'd rock her back to sleep. And has anyone ever done that thing when the babies are crying and you're rocking the the cradle? You rock it, you slow down, slow down, slow down and you think, right, shh. They're asleep and you get down on all fours and you sort of walk towards, you know, crawl towards the door, do the commando crawl and you get to the door and it's the door with the squeak and uh, as you open the door and the baby wakes up, where are you going? Come back and back again. We go, rock, 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 down on all fours, crawl out. You know, some nights I'd be there for an hour trying to get this beautiful, precious baby to sleep. You know, we finally got some help with that but I was really happy to sacrifice my sleep so that my wife could get a full night's rest. I was really happy to sacrifice my sleep so that my baby would get some sleep. You know, even now as a parent and as a father, we sacrifice food, we sacrifice time to take our kids to football games, we sacrifice uh, our money so that we can send our kids to a great school. You know, we sacrifice so much. And this is that storge love, this is that parental love You know, it's natural for us as parents to be able to sacrifice for our children. But what if it was someone that you didn't know? Would you pay the school fees of a child you didn't know or some child that maybe even belonged to your enemy? Would you sacrifice sleep or money for them? You see, phileo love, and that's the storge love says that I will do that because you're my parent. And phileo love says I will sacrifice for you because you meet a certain conditions or, or you've ticked the, the boxes that says that, yes, you'll be my friend and you're the person that I'll love. That's storge love. That's phileo love. But Jesus' death is the ultimate example of agape love. He didn't come for people that were naturally his children. He didn't come for his friends. He came for people that, in fact, didn't even know him. He came for people that weren't even born. He came for people that 2,000 years later would be sitting here at One Heart Church in Port Lincoln, and he would came for you this morning. He came for you. He came, he suffered, he hung on that cross and endured torture, not just for his family and friends, but for you here today. I don't know what that scene looked like in heaven just before Jesus came down and was born of the Virgin Mary. I don't know if Jesus was talking to Gabriel and Gabriel, the angel, says, there has to be another way. You don't know what they'll do to you. And Jesus says, I know what they'll do to me, but I'll go anyway. 
Gabriel says, but they'll beat you. They'll spit on you. They'll ram a crown of thorns on your head. Don't go. And Jesus says, I know, but I love them anyway. And I will go. Gabriel says, but they don't know you. They don't love you. They don't even think you exist. And Jesus says, I know, but I love them. And because I love them, I will go anyway. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I would sacrifice for my children. I would sacrifice for my wife. But would I sacrifice for someone I don't know? Someone who doesn't know me, who doesn't love me, who is in fact my enemy. That's the difference between my love and God's love. That's the difference between phileo and storge love and eros love and this agape love of God. God has a love that is exclusively his. It flows from his being, the essence of who he is, and it isn't phileo. It isn't storge. It isn't based on reciprocation. It's otherworldly love. It comes from his very essence, from the core of his being. He is not phileo. He is agape love. This agape love, God's love, is unconditional. God's love is sacrificial, and God's love is life-changing. God's love opens the door to salvation and freedom from the weight of sin that weighs us down. Once we arrive at that place of understanding that no matter what you do, God can't unlove you, that no matter what your past is like, God will still love you. No matter what you do in the future, God will still love you. It brings a freedom that says that no matter what my guilt or my shame is, God will still love me. No matter who rejects me, God accepts me. No matter who turns on me, God will always be there for me. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is unconditional. If I can get the band up, that would be great. The wrap-up music, the Holy Ghost music as we like to call it. I know that you've got lunches planned for your dads and something special planned and I want to honour your time this morning, but I believe that God wants to do something this morning. You know, when we understand God's love is unconditional, we don't have to, and that we don't have to preoccupy our minds on whether we're doing the right thing. We don't have to preoccupy our minds whether, with whether we've prayed enough. We don't have to preoccupy our minds with whether we've read the Bible enough. We don't have to preoccupy our minds whether we're hanging out with the right people, Pastor Rob and Pauline Santos Stefano. I don't have to get in their good graces because God loves me no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. God loves you and he loves you with an unending love. He loves you with an unconditional love. He loves you with a sacrificial love. I want to tell you today in the most sincere voice possible, God loves you. God loves you. I don't know you. I don't know your story. I don't know your journey, but God does. I don't know whether you've lived the best of lives or whether you've lived the worst of lives. God loves you. And He's here for you this morning. John tells us in 1 John 4 verse 11, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, surely we ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And His love 
is brought to full expression in us. This scripture, if we dig a little deeper, says that God loves you with an unending love and that love gets deposited in you and then God's love is made full in your life when we begin to love others in the way that God loves us. We can only fully comprehend God's agape love for us when we begin to agape love one another. You see, when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, He begins with, Our Father in heaven, holy is Your name. And then He goes on to say, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, that kingdom isn't heaven. That kingdom doesn't come the moment that we pass on into into eternal life. That kingdom is meant to be brought down now onto earth. You know, we live in a society where we feel like we're defeated, that Christianity is on the decline, that Christians are being persecuted for their beliefs. But let me tell you, 2,000 years ago, there was 120 of them, much like the same amount of number of people that are here this morning. And they brought that kingdom to earth for 300 years. Christians were beaten, whipped, tortured, and killed. For 300 years, there wasn't even a Bible. But they changed the face of the world. And now we see Christianity in every corner of the globe with billions and billions of people worshipping Jesus. And I believe that we can achieve a similar thing now. We're not defeated. God's love is still here. God's love is still strong. You know, Jesus says, a tree is known by its fruit. And its fruit is its actions. How are we going to bring this kingdom of love to earth? It's by our actions. Our actions. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you think in your head. Unless you do it, it means nothing. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, If I speak with human eloquence... And angelic ecstasy, but don't love. I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to this mountain, jump, and it jumps. If you do miracles, if you speak in tongues here this morning or come to church every Sunday, it doesn't matter unless we're acting in love. If I give everything I have to the poor and even go to the stake to be burnt as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, and this is Paul speaking, not Phil. I'm repeating Paul's word, the mighty apostle. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, no matter what I believe, I'm bankrupt without love. Can we stand together this morning? God's love. God's love starts first in us. God's love is here this morning and it's impossible for us to be able to give out and act in love if we are bankrupt of love ourselves, if we are giving out from a dry well. But I believe that this message, what we can, if we take it and implement it in our life, we can see things change. If we fathers and mothers implement it in our families, 
Love our children unconditionally. Love our children sacrificially. Husbands, love our wives in the way that Christ loves the church. We can see a, a renewal, a renewal to your family. We can see a renewal in your heart. We can see a renewal in your workplace. We can see renewal in Port Lincoln. God's love is a life-changing love. And this morning, I wonder if there's anyone here this morning that has never experienced that love. You are someone who's never met Jesus personally. You aren't in a relationship with Him because Christianity, friends, is really quite simple. It's about being in a relationship with God. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you don't know God, if you've never met Jesus, I would love to pray for you this morning and introduce you to this God that I've been speaking about. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, not for any creepy reason, but just to give privacy to those that are around us. It's only me looking around at the moment. If that's you and you want to encounter God, you want to meet God for the first time, or maybe... You've been away from God and, and you want to come back this morning. I would love it if you would do something really simple. I'm not going to get you to do anything weird. I'm not going to invite you out the front. I just want to pray for you. But to know who I'm praying for, I would love it if you could lift your hand so that I would know who it is that I'm praying for. So on the count of three, I would love it if you could lift your hand just to show me that, yes, that's me, Phil. Pray for me. Include me in that prayer. One, two, lift your hand on three. Three. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Thanks, guys. There's two people. Is there anyone else? This morning, I've been preaching about the unconditional love of God this morning, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Don't walk away today without having your life changed. Don't walk out today by, and, and not changing. You know, it says in the Bible that who looks into a mirror like I did this morning as I styled my hair? and then walks away without actually changing anything. This morning, we've got an opportunity to change your life forever. One more chance. Is there anyone here this morning and you want to say yes to God? I'm just going to pray a prayer and a simple prayer, and I would love it if you would repeat it after me. And, and then uh, we're going to move on with the service in a moment. I'm not going to drag this out. But as I pray this morning, church, won't you join with us and pray along with me? Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you came and died. I want to accept this love. I ask for forgiveness. And I want to encounter you this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you this morning, you're a new creation. God says that you're a new creation. But this morning... I want to give people an opportunity. I don't know what your journey has been like this morning. You've heard me banging on up here about love for the last half an hour. And you're probably thinking, but Phil, you don't know my situation. You don't know my circumstance. You don't know what he did to me. You don't know the relationship that I'm in. And there's no shame or no guilt in this, but we're going to go back into this song this morning. And it might be something as simple as says, I just want a refreshing touch of God this morning. I want you to pray for me this morning. Romans 5 verse 5 says, God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit. If you're dry on love, if your well is empty, as we go back into this song this morning, won't you come to the front? I would love to take the opportunity to pray for you and to pray for your family and to bless you in the name of Jesus. We're going to go back in this song. I'm going to hand over to Pastor Josh. 
But if you want to make your way to the front while we're singing, I would love to pray for you. Thanks, Bethany.